to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The scripture today is found is in Psalm 62. If you're using the blue pew Bible, you may find it on page 479. Psalm 62, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, my soul, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. The Word of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word our time together. Father, we need you this morning to convince us that you are our real hope and our real salvation and the only fortress that's good and the only refuge that is worth our trust. Because we come asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, but my brothers and I were fans of America's team because Roger Staubach was the quarterback when I was a kid, and we loved the Cowboys. And most of the Philadelphia fans really hated my family for that, but we were all in with the Cowboys at that time. And my second brother, Chris, really, really, really loved him. And uh, my parents took us to the Cowboys-Eagles game one year. And um, 
And they didn't tell him. But afterwards, they had set up a time uh, to meet with Roger Staubach after the game. And um, it was a great game. It's really fun. And at the end of it, we were standing there and all these kind of heroes of ours were coming by. Danny White, larger than life, you know. Chris, he just wasn't interested in that. Ed Tall Jones, huge. Right? Drew Pearson, the great wide receiver. Jilly, Billy Joe Dupree, the tight end. Dorsett came by. Tony Dorsett. A, you know, a genius of a running back. But there... Chris had no eye for those guys. Like, he was glad they were there. Thanks for coming. Keep it moving, right? Because there was only one person that Chris wanted to see. One. There was only one person that was going to make his day. And it was Roger. And my mom had set it up and Stolbeck came out of the locker room and kind of made a beeline for us because he knew who we were and kind of talked to my brother and gave him an autograph and walked off and time stood still for Chris. I mean, it was just this watershed moment of a 13-year-old boy's life, you know, and all was right in the universe. And as for the psalmist, what he's instructing you and I to do this morning is to remind you and I that there is one source of hope and refuge for you. And it's not Roger Stahlbeck. And I'm sure it's not Tony Romo. (laughs) Though he's tough. The psalmist is reminding you this morning that there is only one being who can bring a real place of refuge for you in times of trouble. There's only one place where real salvation comes from. It is the God of the Psalms. It is the God of the Bible. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The God who gave up His Son for your stead. No one else can reach you in your deepest hour of need. No one. But He surely can. And that's the psalmist's point. And if you look at it, the psalm breaks into three parts. There's this first part, verses 1 through 4, that are the proposal of God's goodness because of the problem of enemies. And then there's the proclamation of God is the source of your salvation and God alone in verses 5 through 8. And David kind of ratchets up the language of God's goodness there. And then beautifully, in the last three verses, 9 through 12, David turns to the poverty of false hopes. Right? The insanity of turning your heart to some other hope than the real refuge, which is God alone. And so there's this growing sense of confidence in the psalm as it builds. And so let's look. This first thing. Right? The proposal that God alone is a refuge for you and me because there are problems that arise. If you look in the first four verses, David says, God alone, my soul waits in silence, right? For from Him comes my salvation. And then in 3 and 4, he talks about men that are attacking him. And there are men who are wanting David's position and they're attempting to bring him down. And they're smooth talkers because if you look, they say they bless with their mouths in verse 4, but inwardly they're cursing. 
Outside, they're saying all is well and they're speaking well of the king. But behind closed doors, they're doing everything they can to bring David down. And you can see David's weakness in the moment, can't you? Right? Because he says, how long will you attack a man to batter him? And he uses the language of a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Because David had real problems. And there were people really set against him. And there are real enemies that exist in this life for you. People who are against you, your faithfulness, your love for Jesus. And though that sounds politically incorrect to talk about an us versus them, it is there in the Bible. David knows his weakness. He feels his weakness. And the strange thing is, listen to what he says. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. When there is a tumult that is warring against him of voices and people and circumstances. David says that he waits in silence. And a man by the name of Kidner put it this way. He seems that his own words are insufficient. Or that words from another are insufficient. It seems that the only one who can speak with any curative hope into his situation is God Himself. And y'all, I want to look at you and say, the notion of silence under pressure is fairly foreign to our hearts, isn't it? By nature, I'm a loudmouth. Or a complainer. Or worse, an accuser of God and His goodness and His care of me. Like at four o'clock this morning, when in all of my new construction, I hear the rain pouring down my brand new drywall and flooding my new room. And I wake up and look at my wife. And it is hard to silently wait for God and His goodness when your walls are falling apart. How quickly do we turn to discontent and loud discontent when pressure squeezes down on us? When a child does poorly on something in school, when we know they've got the ability to do it, where do we turn first? Sometimes, isn't it, that teacher, if she would just do her job? Or when you've got that kid who's in that stage of telling lies, isn't it just easy to be silent before the Lord? When real heartache breaks into your world, when your parents get sick, when they don't look like they're going to recover, when we lose a job, when our stock portfolio really takes the dive, or simpler, when it rains, when we just wanted to take a walk, or our spouse changes plans for the evening and doesn't tell us, or our weekend's plans fall through, and our hearts tend to grumble. But he says that when he is pressed down because there is nowhere else he can go and he knows that even his grumbling and complaining will not be a real refuge or a source to fix the problem, he waits for deliverance from God alone. And isn't that the heart of the one who came to save us? When Jesus stands before the court and is accused, our hope is this. The text says that David, like a lamb, 
going to be sheared, right? Go, was silent before his accusers. And our hope rests in not us, but in him, because he is the one who is good and faithful. And there's not a command there to wait silently. But there is a sense that David is saying that this is the heart of the people of God. And this is what's good. David turns from silence in the midst of his adversaries. Because as he talks about them in verses 3 and 4, it's almost as if now he has to speak. And in light of the problems that exist in his life and in yours, David now turns in verses 5 through 8 and does this. He turns back to the singular nature of God as the only source of comfort. The language that he uses, God alone is my only rock and my salvation, my fortress, right? On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And he says it again and again, God is a refuge for us. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to look down at verse 5 and take notice of the change of the language. Because in verse 1, he makes a statement that he will wait in silence on God. And now, in verse 5, he changes. And here David is telling himself to be silent. And it makes sense when we come face to face with problems, doesn't it? He has to tell himself now which voice to listen to. Right? The voice of the Scriptures. This is the voice we need to listen to. This is the thing you have to tell yourself. That we listen to this voice. And that is a comfort to you and I who in the midst of pressure, when we face difficulty in life or health or people against us. It's a comfort to those who when we recognize our faith is not that strong, that it's okay that we have to consult the right voice, that it's not second nature. Sometimes you have to preach yourself into sanity, right? That's what David is doing. He's now having to tell himself, Oh, my soul, wait. Because sometimes we're tempted to listen to the wrong voice. But there's great hope. There's real good hope. God is a God of comfort. He is a refuge. He is the one who has saved you and redeemed you. And I love the fact that I think David wrote and used this language of a rock being a refuge because David knew what it was to be protected hiding in caves along the way where no one could see him and no one could get to him and no one could touch him. And he knew that that's what God was. And he turns from this proclamation of God as the only source to a command. And this is the one command in the text. He looks at the people of God in the psalm, and therefore he looks at you and me, and he says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. Why? Because God is a real refuge for us. Pour out your heart to Him. This feels very different from being silent. And I, I do love the contrast. And I want you to hear it. There's a way where to be silent before Him when we realize that we have no other resources and we must wait for Him to deliver. And there is a way where we're to pour out our hearts to Him because we know the same thing. 
We know that with all of who we are, and we know that because the offensive against us is so strong at times, and circumstances feel like they are so weighty, and we have nowhere to go and nowhere to turn, and no resources to give, either of our own hearts or outside of ourselves, that this is the one we will cry out to. Oh God, be a refuge for me. When you see your sin that has plagued you through years and years, and you look and say, I have nothing in and of myself. The great hope of the psalm is David looks at you and says, this morning, now, put your confidence in this. God is your salvation. God is your hope. When the circumstances of your life are beyond you, When your children have made such choices that there is shame in the public eye and there is nothing you can do, put your hope in God alone. When all your dreams and all your hopes and all your plans have come to little more than heartache, where will you turn? When your spouse is ungrateful. When your best friend is unfair and critical. Kids, when you go to the playground and the people that are supposedly your friends turn a hard heart to you and run away and make fun of you and go play with other people, where will you turn? David reminds you that there is a good source of refuge and comfort for you. It is the God who loves you and redeems you and treasures you and follows you and pursues you and keeps you and makes you whole and He will not fail you. When the girl of your dreams goes off and finds someone quote-unquote better, where will you turn? When your business partner of years takes the money and runs, where will you turn? When my new construction is sopping wet, where will I turn? I, I, I you know, every now and then I just encourage you to pick up this book, Fair Sunshine, I've quoted from a time or two, but um, it's this great story of the, of the Scottish Covenanters who were facing real persecution for their faith, and a lot of them were martyred, and uh, there are these two Margarets, it's one of the stories, an older woman of 70 and a young maid of 18 who were sentenced because they would not claim the king of England as the one true king of their heart and soul in the church, they were sentenced to die. And they were sentenced to die by being drowned. They, they were, there were stakes driven in uh, the bay where a, a real high tide came up. And they were tied to those stakes as the tide was coming in to drown. And um, the language is pretty rough, but it makes the point. Because at that point, as the tide is coming up and your wrists are bound and there is nowhere you can go, it does probably call to mind, where is my real hope, doesn't it? 
And it says, you know, I know you shouldn't read in sermons, but just bear with me and listen because it's really sweet. It says, we never read of any word that the old saint spoke. It appears that sick at heart and disappointed with madly cruel humanity, she turned to unending communion with the Lord. And they said, it's needless to speak to that blank, blank, blank. They rudely cried, let her go to hell. And they tied her roughly fast to her leafless but fruitful tree. And so came the hungry waters up and up, every wave splashing death, until she was choking in their cold grasp. And the younger one, before she became a linked thing, lying in the swirling flood, they said to young Market, What do you think of her now? And she said, Think, I see Christ wrestling there, said she. Think ye that we are sufferers? No, it is Christ in us, for He sends none a warfare at their own charges. The waters were now around her, and she began to sing a melody. She had sung often among the hills when the fellowship of the hunted worshipped God. My sins and faults of youth do Thou, O Lord, forget. After Thy mercy think on me, and for Thy goodness great. Good God and upright is the way He'll sinners show, the meek in judgment He will guide, and make His path to know. When all the world around you is coming down, turn to the only one who can be a refuge for you. Anne Steele was this hymn writer and she wrote this great hymn and if I was on my game early enough, I'd have asked uh, to sing this at the end. But dear refuge of my weary soul, you should go and read it. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. There's nowhere you will turn. There's nowhere else you can go. There's no one else who will give you comfort. But there is one. And from here, David turns. And look, that's the hope of the thief on the cross. And for so many of us who have doubts about Christ and His truthfulness, who feel like we're on the very verge of giving up and giving in to unbelief and dying headlong into sin... Please hear God say, here is your hope. And here is your refuge. And here is your safety. And here is your only comfort in life and death. And and that's why I think David turns from there, this high point of calling us to faithfulness and love of God because of His goodness, to the frailty of the human heart and its tendency to turn aside. Because in verses 9 through 11, he turns and starts to remind us, look, put no hope, put no trust in... And you would think he would just say, man, but I love the fact that David understands the frailty of us. Because he looks in verses 9 and 10 and he says, look, you can't trust people. Because those of low birth and those of the highest birth are nothing but a breath. You can't trust in people. Your great and final hope cannot be in your husband or your wife. Why? They're a breath. And they're sinners. Marriage is a great comfort from God to us. The church is a great comfort. I'm not being a cynic. 
But if all of your hope, if your rock and stay is in your spouse, they will be gone. Verse 10, put no trust in, and I love it. David is looking up this, at us this morning and saying, hey, by the way, don't trust oppression or extortion or don't set your heart on the vainness of robbery. And you think, huh? us? False gain? Us? Right. And I would look and go, hey, don't think that as the people of God were above these temptations. Why? If you find an iPhone 4G XS or whatever the newest one is in the airport and all you have is a flip phone, what's your temptation? Maybe I should take it to the lost and found. I don't know. Maybe I should take it. Maybe I should take it. Ah, it's so pretty. This will give me life. Right? And you know, the bigger temptation, the harder it is for faithfulness at times. And of course, he comes back to this. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And um, I was talking to a friend who has run a pretty large commercial real estate business for 25 years. And really, for most of his life, he had nothing but success. And boy, it was rolling in and it was rolling in good. And they were happy days in the 80s and 90s, man. It was coming strong. He had a condo on the Gulf Coast and he was flying on a private jet and he was having a ball. And he was an elder in the church for 18 years. And the bottom dropped out. And I was on the phone with him two weeks ago and he was laughing and saying, Keith, I, I got to tell you, I said I trusted God for a long time because in a lot of ways I didn't have to. And then when my comfort was pulled right out from under me, I realized there just wasn't anything else to look to. David is kind, I think, here to say, hey, guys, listen up. Be careful about the false temptations that will attempt to woo you as the ultimate source of comfort in your life. Because, man, that second cup of bourbon speaks loud at times when it all seems to be going bad. It speaks loudly. And the attention and affirmation of another can really speak a lie of comfort to you. And the obedience and performance of my children can be such a sweet idol, especially when they're young, because we can make them do what we want them to do. David, in his mercy, looks and says, be careful about all the other things that would call you away. And then once again, y'all, David turns back and in his kindness says the good word. Right? Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, 
that power and steadfast love belong to God alone. He's the only one who is the source of comfort for you and I. He's it. And He's surely it. Isn't that what Darwin so beautifully reminded us of a few months ago? Just listen. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Will life or death or angels or demons or things of this world, good or bad, remove you from the safe, steadfast love of God? No. Nothing will. There is one place and one hope, and one comfort, and one refuge, and one salvation that is your good end. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the steadfast love of the Father. It is in the kind comfort and counsel of the Spirit. Wait for Him. Be quiet before Him. Pour out your heart to Him. Wait on Him. Because surely He is our refuge. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus, who is faithful where we are not, who waited on the Lord that we might find mercy and grace and forgiveness and comfort. Thank You, O Lord, for this Jesus who has died not just to give us forgiveness, but to strengthen our hearts that we might wait. O God, help us to look like the psalm. By Your mercy, O Lord, strengthen us to look like the psalm. Strengthen us, O God, That when sin and pressures rise, we will tell each rising grief to You. And we will rest securely in the refuge and rock that is Jesus, for You alone can heal. Lord, hear our prayer and make it so for Jesus' sake and our benefit. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Shades of night and 
chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?